Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Patrick Wood, CEO and co-founder of Orbit, a community growth platform that's raised over $22 million in funding. Patrick, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yep. So I'm Patrick, co-founder and CEO of Orbit. I'd say my career is a blend of marketing, brand strategy, and an ad agency, and then customer success leadership at a, at a couple high-growth startups, and then really lately focusing on community as a business discipline. Always been pretty community oriented. We can dive into what that means. But yeah, over the years, I've done various things like starting and producing networking groups, hosting event series, things that are sort of all premised on getting lots of people together and seeing what happens. And then today I work at the intersection of really those those interpersonal relationships and the needs of the businesses. And so like helping companies think through how a thriving community can help them accelerate areas of their business. And really, Orbit is a software platform that's all about how modern marketers, modern companies can think about how to scale up those human-centric relationships. And throughout your career, was this the master plan to eventually be the founder and CEO of a tech company? Is that something you were always working towards or had in the back of your mind? Or are you surprised that you ended up running the type of company that you're running today? I have to say it was was on my radar. When I was working at the ad agency, so this was back in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which is where I'm from originally, I was working at, at an agency there with about a 250-person agency, so kind of a large, small agency, if you will. And I realized that all of our amazing creative directors and copywriters and just really excellent creatives were spending most of their time on work that paid the bills, but wasn't very interesting. So this is like, you know, it's great to have like, you know, FedEx or Pfizer as a logo on your website, but like really that work is not very fun. It's, you know, billboards and internet ad copy and stuff like that. And so I sort of pitched this idea to the partners of the agency that like, hey, what if we took the best creatives for the agency and coupled them with startups? And startups are historically terrible at naming and branding. And this was kind of at the time when the dot LY thing was happening. So every startup was coming out with like, you know, an LY in their name, super goofy. And yeah, basically said, what if we, what if we started doing essentially services for equity and deployed our heavy hitting creative talent against these companies that really need the work, but maybe don't have the cash to pay for it. And it was really exciting and fun work. And shout out to the agency for letting letting me do that. But yeah, part of my strategy there was, I kind of thought I might want to get more involved with startups, like found something eventually someday, but just didn't really know what that would look like. So I just sort of started to lay the foundations that would eventually get me there if that's what I wanted. And that's kind of my approach, has always been my approach really is, you know, instead of having like a 10-year plan, I've I've always sort of tried to place bets that point me in the direction I want to go in. So yeah, that's kind of the, the genesis of how I actually ended up in San Francisco seven or eight years ago. And how'd that pan out for the agency that was doing those deals where they were exchanging services for equity? Did that perform very well for them in the end? <laughs> you know, I don't think we actually saw any distributions from that. I mean, you know, in, investing is hard enough as it is in services. Investing services, there's lots and lots of layers, but I would say that there were there were lots of important outcomes for the agency that were non-financial or, or financial adjacent. 
it's kind of interesting thinking about community building generally, but we, I guess we can come back to that. But yeah, for the, for the agency, it, it gave us a lot to talk about, you know, in the press. Uh, I felt very innovative in terms of attracting clients. It became a thing that people were interested in hearing about, learning about. Talent acquisition and retention was a huge outcome from spinning up this business unit. So we, we attracted a pretty incredible PR leader as a part of, you know, she was very interested in this type of work and, you know, the best, most senior creatives got to work with me on the fun startup stuff. So there were lots of intangibles. And then I would say the second thing was that it gave us the ability to sort of work in a very lightweight and versatile way. You know, if, if you know anything about agency world, like running the big accounts, you know, like the Fortune 500s and things like that, everything is a big machine. It can take a long time. There's lots of approvals and checks and balances. But for for my team, we got really good at, because we were working with startups, we got good at moving quickly and being very efficient. And so that turned into my team also becoming like the de facto team for doing small, interesting projects, like civic projects or nonprofit projects, things like that. So we did actually produce some billings from those projects. But yeah, the startup stuff turns out to be a catalyst for all sorts of other sort of innovation, innovative things around the business. Mm, that's super interesting. Yeah, my fiance, she worked at McCann in New York City for a few years, and she was working on the USPS account. So I got oh, to yeah. see behind the scenes just how exciting big agency life really can be. So <laughs> yep. exactly. I'm sure that was a blast to be in the, the startup world and, and doing that in the startup land. Yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing. And the relationships I built there still stick with me today. So super valuable stuff. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, a couple of questions that I like to ask, really just to better understand what makes you tick. First one, what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah, I think probably, I really have a lot of respect for Patrick Collison at Stripe. I think, you know, as I've worked with Stripe here in Orbit and gotten to know a ton of the team there, I'm, I'm just always impressed by everyone I meet there is super sharp. Uh, they're also really kind. So there's some pretty powerful cultural implications that that tells me about. And I think that his emphasis on learning and this may sound abstract, but shaping society through ideas really resonates with me. So, you know, they have this arm of the business called Strike Press, where they they publish either sort of new and interesting ideas or repackage timeless ideas into just beautiful physical books. And, you know, he and Stripe are also involved with the Long Now Foundation, uh, which is a super cool nonprofit that's dedicated to long-term thinking on a 10,000-year time horizon. So, you know, for me, and all of that stuff really resonates with me. So, I think there's the cultural stuff, but also just watching that business execute at scale has been awesome and very inspiring for me. What about books? Are there any specific books that come to mind of just being really meaningful and impactful in your life? Oh, man, so many books. I'll give you two. One is a book called The Culture Map. It's about cross-cultural work. And, you know, Orbit's a company that is, we're based in the U.S. My co-founder lives in Paris. So we've got employees in the U.S., U.K., France, Benin, Nigeria, Italy, and Israel. So we kind of grew up during COVID and we we just kind of went remote. And we have a lot of backgrounds and cultures at the company. And the, the culture map is a very research-based approach to understanding everyone's implicit bias and how to give name to those biases and and work around them as a result. So it's one I think about a ton pretty much every day. And the, the other is a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by Richard Rummelt. And it's pretty long. But it's one of my favorite books on strategy. And he boils it down into this concept of like kernel of a good strategy. And there's three parts to that. There's a diagnosis, a guiding policy, and a coherent set of actions. And for me, there's there's many ways to, to define strategy. But I, I find that one to be the one 
I come back to most and specifically the part about how important the diagnosis part of the process is. I've just been in so many meetings in my life where people show up with lots of ideas and you know, halfway through the meeting, you realize everybody's solving a different problem. So the idea of first starting with the diagnosis of what's actually going on here and which parts matter is it's really instructive. But the book overall is, you know, dives deep in tons of historical examples that really bring that idea to life. So yeah, two great books. I probably listen to Good Strategy, Bad Strategy once a year or maybe every 18 months because it's pretty beefy read, but it's been been pretty instructive for me. Nice. I have a rule on the podcast. If I hear a book three times, then I immediately add it to cart and buy it. So that's the third time I've heard someone talk <laughs> about good strategy, bad strategy. Oh, wow. So I'll dive in. How long are we talking though? Is this like 900 words or sorry, 900 pages? What am I, what am I setting myself up for here? It may not be 900, but it may be like 500. I've learned to check. Yeah. I've had a few books that come up when I go to buy it. And it's like, yeah, a thousand pages long. And I come on, this is like a, this is a pretty big ask. <laughs> It's lengthy, but it's worth it. So yeah, you have to tell me what you think. I'll be, I'm curious now to see if it's, uh, see if you like it. I'm actually in the middle of the Kissinger biography right now. It's, it's also pretty long, the Walter Isaacson one. So pretty great. Have you heard of the podcast, The Founders by chance? I don't think so. Oh, uh, you'll have to check that out. It's uh, a guy just reads a biography and then records like a 45 minute episode about the biography. <laughs> so it's a oh, great wow. shortcut if you don't want to like yeah, dig into 30 something hours of content. It's a good way to get a snapshot of someone. It's it's pretty fascinating. I'll, I'll drop you a link after the interview. Perfect. Now let's switch gears and let's talk about Orbit. So can you just give us a high level overview of what the product does? Yeah. So Orbit helps companies at a very high level understand the, the humans that are in their orbit. So there's lots of words that describe this idea. Uh, we, we talk about community a lot. And I would say community is just a group of people that are coming together to do a thing together. And you might say there's three types of communities. Because community is a word to feel very abstract. So we have this sort of three-part heuristic. And we talk about communities of product, practice, and play. So a community of play is, you know, people coming together to have a good time. So watch a baseball game or, you know, play video games. That's a community of play. Community of practice is a group of people that are coming together around a discipline. So this is, this might look like a, a meetup for CEOs or a Slack group for CTOs. But the point of that community is for people to learn and level up. And then a community of product is a community that comes together around a uh, product. So this is, you know, it could be a user group, a forum, people talking about how to use a software or a tool more effectively. And at Orbit, we see all three. But basically what we try to do is, is a couple of things. First is unify the, the customer journey across all the various touch points that, that they might experience today. So if you think about the old world of selling, uh, it's very linear, very binary process. A, a salesperson might call on a CIO and and get a software deal done. And then everybody in the company has to use that software because the CIO said so and it's top down. And you know, these are big deals. They're very slow moving, but once they're done, they're done. But one thing we've noticed over the past, you know, five or 10 years is that increasingly software is it's it's not really sold that way anymore. Sometimes it is, but increasingly it's adopted. And there's a bottom-up go-to-market motion. There's, you know, more and more companies have a freemium plan, a try before you buy sort of approach. And the best companies are instrumenting their go-to-market systems around this bottom-up approach to going to market. I would say community is a big part of that. Okay, so what do we actually do? I'm getting philosophical. For modern companies, the customer journey spans lots of different touch points. It's no longer just the website, but it includes the forum, maybe a Discord server, maybe a Slack community. If it's a developer community, there's activity happening on GitHub, there's Product Hunt, Reddit, 
in number of platforms, including events, registrations, webinars, learning tools, you name it. And so at the, at the foundational level, Orbit makes it really easy to unify the customer journey across all those different touch points. So you can see that, you know, for example, Patrick G. Woods came to your GitHub repo and started the repo. And then the next day I came to your event and the next day I came to your forum and asked a bunch of questions about how to use the product. And the next day I started using the free product and then I came to the forum and asked more questions. And so really at, at the data level, it's about unifying the user journey at that individual level so the company can make better decisions about who to engage with, where, how often. And then on top of that data, we have lots of sort of powerful tools around reporting and workflow orchestration, uh, as well as taking specific action. So with using Orbit, you can do things like build a champions program from scratch with just a few clicks. So that's sort of the idea. And all that data, of course, connects to your sales and marketing CRM. So over at HubSpot, you can do things like revenue attribution for all these various touch points. So yeah, that's kind of Orbit in a, in a nutshell. And when customers come to you, what's the state of their community? Is it like a, a Slack group that's just getting started? Is it a you know, Slack group or Facebook group or like whatever it is, you know, that's like already massive and they want to just understand that community better? What's like that typical state of the community? Yeah, so we've got we've got thousands of companies using us today, managing around 48 million community members collectively across all those channels. So we kind of get to see it all. We we have tons of early stage companies that are kind of getting off the ground and they're using Orbit as, as their kind of first tool to understand the the journey where, you know, early stage companies may not need all of the bells and whistles of a, of a full sales CRM. And really, they want to know just who's out there in the community and what are they doing and how do I build better relationships with them? And so so we see the early stage companies, but then, you know, a company like Patreon, you know, are, they're managing more than a billion people with Orbit. So we kind of get to see it all. Um, and it's an interesting time in the market because we're seeing... Some companies have large, sophisticated teams managing all the stuff. At the same time, we're seeing legacy companies who are haven't historically thought about the community journey or the customer journey in this way, starting to get their toes to the water. So we're you know helping some of them modernize their go-to-market and their tooling stack. And then we see lots of lots of earlier stage companies who are kind of community native who really understand why this is important from day zero. And in terms of the community members, are they interacting with Orbit in any way? I feel like I've seen a few startups over the last few years that are, you know, kind of beating the drum to say, hey, don't use Facebook, don't use Slack, use our tool instead. And when I go to it, it's like almost a forum that exists on their website. Is it something similar here? Or does the end user and community member not even know that Orbit exists? Yeah, great question. It's largely the latter. So we're, for most purposes, we feel like a Salesforce or HubSpot. We're behind the scenes. We're mm-hmm. plugging all the data together. One of our sort of hypotheses early on was that the sort of community platforms, for lack of a better term, forum tools, chat tools, things like that, we sort of realized that there's going to be a growing number of those over time. More and more people are going to make more and more tools for more specific use cases. And so we didn't want to compete there, but rather we found a lot of value in connecting that data together and unifying it across those different channels. In- increasingly, there are places where end users know about Orbit. For example, last week we shipped our new Champions Program Manager tool, which helps software companies basically build champions or advocacy or early a- access programs. And part of that process is, okay, you've got you know 500 people that you want in your advocacy program. How do you onboard them? Well, we, we built some pretty cool sort of like semi-automated tools for that. And and through that process, there's some exposure to who Orbit is. But by and large, the end community member doesn't need to know we exist. We just make it easy. We make their lives easier and they don't even know it. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. 
This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And maybe it's just my LinkedIn feed, but I feel like my LinkedIn feed lately has just been filled with CLG or community-led growth. And it just seems like that's picking up a lot of steam now. Everyone's talking about it. But you started in 2019, long before I think everyone was really talking about this as much. What did you see in 2019 that's taken a few years for people to really catch up with and see that as well? Yeah. So I mentioned the ad agency thing. One of my clients at the time was a company called Keen.io. Uh, Keen was an analytics company, a very developer-centric go-to-market, and they were one of my clients at the agency. And they actually recruited me to come build their first customer success team. So that's how I made my way to San Francisco. I actually met my now co-founder, Josh. He was VP of engineering there. So pretty important life moment there. But uh, Keen was where I really fell in love with community as a driver of of business outcomes. So we had 50 or 60,000 developers on the platform and this huge user community of of devs, like doing stuff, building projects together, hiring each other, starting companies. And of course, that conferred all sorts of benefits to the company in terms of brand awareness, user-generated content, rapid product feedback, recruiting ourselves. And, and basically, I realized at Keen that so I wasn't you know on the community team there directly, but in my capacity as director of customer success, I realized that this active community basically de-risks every part of the business. And the human connection that's happening as a result of this is actually having really cool impact on society. So that's where I got thinking about the role of the sort of modern customer journey that looks a lot like community at Keen. So after Keen, Josh and I, uh, my co-founder, went our separate ways. And then in 2018, we got together to do some consulting in the community space broadly. And during that time, we created a framework called the Orbit model. And so this this predates the company. Uh, this is essentially, you know, saw leadership, quote unquote, for the consulting practice. And the Orbit model is really a a community-centric alternative to the sales and marketing funnel as a metaphor and as a model. We realized that everybody at the time, all of our clients were, they were trying to figure out community and they were trying to figure out how to measure things in that world. And that the, the sales funnel is kind of the only metaphor business has had. It's like the predominant commercial metaphor that comes up in almost any, you know, business meeting. And the the funnel as a metaphor is really great for optimizing linear and binary things. So think like a five-step sales process that everyone goes through the exact same steps for a product onboarding. It's really great for that. But the modern customer journey is not linear at all. And so the funnel kind of breaks down. And in a community context, there are all sorts of people that are actually creating a ton of value for the community and for the company and may never pay the company a dollar. So think you know, freemium plans or open source projects where there might be people that are coming to events, hosting meetups, participating in the forum, you know, committing code even, who may never pay the parent company a dollar because it's open source. So if you put that person into a sales funnel, like they're going to be disqualified pretty quickly. And yet they are really important to the overall value creation of the community. So the Orbit model says, instead of pushing people through a prescribed set of steps, you actually should start to measure the gravity and the attractiveness of the, the community overall. And then if you understand the recency, frequency, and quality of everyone's participation, you can start to build some pretty cool workflows around who's engaging, who's fading away, et cetera. And really for us, so that whole thing started its life as a blog post way back in the day. And 
that was kind of the thing that catalyzed Orbit into a company. And I don't know, we were, I guess, a little early to the trends, but we had just had so many conversations with clients and potential clients around this new motion that everybody was trying to figure out. I mean, they still are. But yeah, 2018, 2019, we just saw more and more investment in the job function. We saw more people, you know, getting promoted to leadership positions. And the question started to go from less about, you know, how can we use community to save money on, you know, support ticket deflection, for example, and more and more about the strategic import of including these types of processes in the overall go-to-market motion. So I think that was really, for me, the, the aha. And that kind of aligned well with our, you know, putting together the company, raising our first capital in late 2019. And if this year is the year of CLG, or at least, you know, based on my LinkedIn feed, I think last year was the year of PLG, and everyone was talking about product-led growth. So can you just talk through how community-led growth and product-led growth work together? Because as I understand it, it's not choosing one or the other. You can have both, and community-led growth can empower product-led growth, I think is how I understand it, but that, that could be wrong. Yeah, I think all of these terms are trying to get at really understanding humans. This may sound philosophical, but we have lots of words in business for for people. Those words are things like feeds, prospects, community members, audience members, customers, users. And these terms all sort of emanate from whichever department is doing the talking. And I, I think we're seeing as a move towards a company's understanding they want to understand the holistic journey of the people. And so, you know, product-led growth would say, okay, we really want to understand the activity of, of individual people and how that relates to people inside of companies and qualifying you know, those people into you know, traditional MQLs as a result of their product usage. You know, community-led growth says, really, we should understand what our customers are saying and what they're saying to each other. What are the things they're talking about amongst themselves and how can we apply that to our product roadmap and make decisions based on what the community says? So I, th- I think there's, yeah, I don't think it's one or the other. And I, I think really it's, if I had to abstract it out, it's really just understanding the modern adoption-centric customer journey and the touch points that are happening in places that are traditionally hard to track. So that's kind of how I think of about unifying those ideas. I think really it's brought on by people don't want to be sold to. I think that's been true for a long time, but I think finally companies are starting to have the, the data and the tooling to make those more personalized decisions about who to interact with, where it went. Do you think as a buyer or as a user, eventually there just turns out to be too many communities? You're like thinking about all of my interests. If every single company or interest that I have had a Slack community or a Facebook group, I would just be in like 50 communities and I would get completely overwhelmed. Now I'm in like three and like even that's hard to keep up with. <laughs> so if every company buys into this idea and importance of community, like what does that look like for the end user? Like, Do you envision it that every company would have a community? No, I really, it's a great question. And I, I don't think every company can or should have a community in the traditional sense, but this is where the semantic challenges with the word community come out. Because on one hand, you would think, hey, you know, Patrick's the community guy from Orbit, everybody should have community. And I think that's, that actually can be really problematic. But I would say, and I actually reframe it as the way we think about this is do companies want to build better relationships with the people in their orbit? whether that's customers, users, community members, whomever. So like, do you want to have like a better understanding of who those people are and what they're talking about? And are there occasions where getting those people talking to each other will have benefits for the company and those people? So I I think that's true a lot of the time. So I think like, do you want even more like Slack groups and Discord servers? No, I I certainly don't. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed. We're all overwhelmed. You know, community, 
burnout is, is a real thing. But I don't think that companies want less of, of what we're talking about here. Now, the question is, do the end users, the people in the communities want that? If it's a new Slack group for the sake of itself, then absolutely not. But what we're seeing is, is more and more companies carving off very explicit and specific sort of tactical things around the ideas of community. So Champions Programs is a great example of this. So you could talk about Champions Programs or advocacy programs, beta users, any, anytime that there's a there's sort of a need to, to get a small group together that has something in common. And so I, I was talking to a large legacy telco uh, last week, and they're getting ready to make some strategic shifts, and they are preparing to launch some APIs and really, they're working to retool the go-to-market around part of their business around around a developer-first go-to-market, which is pretty impressive for you know the company that's over 100 years old. And you know, I talked to them about this idea, about all these ideas, and for them, the idea of a, of a community sounded like the thing they wanted to like. They felt like they needed to say that, but also the idea of community with a capital C felt very overwhelming because they didn't know where to start. It sounds expensive. It sounds nebulous. But as we talked about very tactical things like, well, gee, wouldn't you like to get 100 of these sort of new developers you want to go after and get them together to get their feedback, to get their input on the roadmap, et cetera, et cetera. That, that really resonated for them. So anyway, as, all that to say that when I think about the, the market, it's less about you know every company needs to have a Slack group and it's more about every company needs to have the, the data and the tooling to understand the people that are out there. and when when it's mutually beneficial, pull them together to do a thing. So that may sound abstract, but yeah, I think the, the end goal is, is not, you know, you're now part of hundred communities, but it looks more like when you are at the right place at the right time to participate with others in a potential community, you will know that that community's there. They will know that you're there and it'll be a smooth on ramp. So yeah, kind of a, a long way to say that not every company needs to have a Slack channel, I guess. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And, and that's super helpful because I'm, I'm sure other people listening in, that's probably going through their heads as well. And whenever I read about community-led growth, that's all I think about is, I don't know how many more Slack groups I can manage. So good to know your, your perspective there. Now, from the customers that you work with or the companies that you work with, I'm sure you see some misconceptions out there. So what would you say would be some of the top misconceptions you hear about community-led growth? Well, I think one of them is, yeah, what we just touched on, which is that you have to have a large team. You have to have read all the books. You have to have basically become an expert on community building to do anything related to community-led growth. And my view is that, you know, along the lines of what we've been unpacking here is that if you're a, a CEO or a founder or a marketing leader or even a product person or a customer success person, and you're just like, you want to get more tight feedback from customers, like that's the kernel of a community. Or if you're like a really great, salesperson and you know over the course of a month you say gee i've had 20 conversations with people from this segment of the market in this job title and i'd like these people are all saying the same things or have interesting they have similar problems you know i wonder if i threw a like a brown bag lunch you know or a webinar or something like to get some of these people together to talk would that be useful like that's community like that's what community can look like and it's, it doesn't have to be this huge thing and so I want to empower more people across companies to to think along those lines and to always ask themselves, you know, is is there a reason here for a small group of people or a large group of people to come together around an idea? Because I've seen personally really interesting things happen and it's hard to predict what things are going to happen, but good things usually do happen. 
and Orbit helps you measure those things. But I, I think that the sort of magic of community is it's hard to bottle up. So yeah, so I think the one misconception is that, that it has to be, you know, you have to have a community team and a big program and a big budget. The reality is it can start happening now. Uh, it probably already is happening. You just need to put some infrastructure around it. So I, I think I think that's a big one. You know, another is that there's some misconceptions, I would say, generally around the relationship between community-flavored activities and how that impacts revenue. So I can look a lot of different ways. Some of our customers are very, the community teams, the DevRel teams, and, and the go-to-market teams are very siloed. And other organizations, they work pretty close together. You know, we think that there is a relationship between the investment and, you know, modern customer journey, community stuff, and ROI. I think it looks a lot like revenue attribution. So being able to see, okay, you know, we had, you know, 100 conversations in the forum this week. We had, you know, we did an event. We did an in-person event. We did a digital event. How do these things all come together to influence revenue? That's something you can do with Orbit today. But I think a lot of companies see the community and community-related functions as all centers only. And they kind of miss on the strategic benefit that's either directly related to revenue or other things. So I think the revenue thing is a, a big misconception. I think the sort of the outcome of these investments is is another. And so I guess what I mean by that is the upside to having a community is partially measurable by things like pipeline contribution and, and attribution and things like that. But even more so, I think an active community basically impacts every part of every part of the funnel. So from brand awareness, user-generated content to product feedback, it kind of makes every part of the of the business easier. And so, you know, I think a lot of companies might think about these ideas and sort of be put off because it sounds hard and, and difficult. And at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people talking. Uh, might be the misconception, but you know, for our customers, we've seen active communities accelerate the business in so many areas. Makes a lot of sense. And to switch gears a bit here and, and dive a bit deeper into the company. So can we just talk a little bit about growth? I think you had mentioned 48 million community members there. Are there any numbers that you can share or metrics that just demonstrate some of the growth and adoption that you're seeing today? Yeah, I think it's a good one. You know, that coupled with many thousands of companies using Orbit from various different sectors, from developer tooling, infrastructure databases, open source, to, you know, big consumer companies like Miro and Patreon, to lots of Web3, blockchain, crypto folks like that, and then a long tail of creator communities, educational communities, you name it. And what are your thoughts when it comes to your market category? Is it community-led growth? Is it like community intelligence? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think category is perennially an interesting one. We've historically sort of positioned ourselves in this, this category of community growth platform, and that is sort of acknowledging the various aspects around data, and unified view, and uh, helping companies you know grow their communities, but grow because of their communities. I think we'll stick with that positioning but increasingly, we're building tools that are very actionable. So the Champions Program suite of tools is, is one example of a very specific point solution built on top of our platform. I think what we've realized is that the, the platform positioning is interesting, but also can feel scary. I think for our early adopters of the market, what we found is that they're pretty comfortable with complexity. You know, think, think people who have been building and running successful community teams or developer relations teams for you know eight or 10 or 12 years their set of needs look a lot like, hey, can you just give me the data abstractions? I'd like to map it to my program and I'll be good to go. But as, we, as we've gotten to the, the early majority of the market, we're working with lots of folks who maybe haven't built programs like this before, or maybe they don't have a community team, but they're interested in trying these ideas on. So the idea of a, a platform can feel overwhelming. So 
it's a little bit of kind of like under the hood look at, at how we're thinking about evolving evolving our own solution in the category overall. So it's always a tough one because Orbit doesn't really look like an existing tool set. It's not exactly a CRM. It's not exactly an analytics tool. So where does it fit? So yeah, we've kind of gone with that positioning, but we're probably going to see some refinement in the coming, the coming quarters. And final question, since I know we're almost up on time, let's zoom out into the future, maybe three to five years from today. What does the company look like? What's that big vision that you're working towards? Yeah, for us, you know, we've talked a lot about the people, the humans on this conversation, in this conversation. And, you know, what we've seen is that when companies take into account who are the individuals, what are they saying and doing, what are they talking about, who are they connecting with? When a company knows that, it means they can tailor better product for those folks, that they can deliver more relevant content, better events. And all that stuff is is kind of a net benefit because if things like content and events and champions programs, if these things are all working and they're they're driving awareness and adoption and all the parts of the funnel, then it probably means companies are spending less time on, you know, robo SDRs and spam emails. Like I'm still getting like some account rep from like a, some legacy software business has been calling my cell phone. Like what 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 year is this? So I think over the the next, you know, three, five, 10 years, if, if our vision works, then it means that fewer people will receive spam emails and fewer people will be working those jobs. Like, I just can't feel good to be the, like the person who's out of college and like is tasked with calling CEOs who are going to yell at them <laughs> to not call their personal phone number. So, you know, our hope is that we can just introduce more human connection into all these things. I think that's going to be a net benefit for the people, but as well as the companies as well. So that's, that's kind of the vision. Amazing. I love it. All right, Patrick, we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Yep. Uh, you can follow along. Our website is orbit.love and I'm on Twitter at Patrick J. Woods. Awesome. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on, educating us about community and talking about everything that you're building. I'm a huge fan. I really love what you guys are doing and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brett. I appreciate it. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 